Hey, when you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about those out-of-pocket costs. Now, that could be a lot of money, but are your medical bills accurate? Now, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills actually contain errors. Now, HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, or fraud. Now, you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, to date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Check them out online, healthlock.com. Go there today. Now, nowadays, 20 bucks barely gets you a burger and fries or maybe a quarter of a tank of gas if you're lucky. You know what it will get you, though? For just $20 a month, you can get unlimited talk and text and plenty of 5G data from my cell phone company, Pure Talk. Make the switch today, and if you do it today, you save an additional 50% off your first month. They use the same 5G network, same cell towers as the big carriers, and most families saving close to $1,000 a month. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean, that's Sean, S-E-A-N. Make the switch today so you can actually afford that burger and fries. Hey, what if your home's title, which is the legal document that proves you own your home, is in some criminal's name? Well, that's called home title theft, and criminals all over the world can find your home's title online, and then they'll forge your signature, they'll take out loans against your home, or even worse, sell your home. Now, how do you know some criminal is not taking over the title to your home? You can find out with sign up at HomeTitleLock.com and use the promo code Sean, S-E-A-N. Wow, we're loaded up. This is this is just mind-numbing every bit of information we've been able to peel off this onion as it relates to deep state corruption, abuse of power, uh, and the, the level, the effort, the insanity of what they have done to destroy first cha- Trump's chances of ever winning the presidency and now delegitimize and, and really an insatiable appetite to get him out of office. And, and it's, it's, it's mind-numbing. And it doesn't matter how, how corrupt they are, the news media, they're more corrupt because the news media are the willing accomplices every single solitary step of the way. You know, I, I went back and I'm reading through this, this uh, sentencing recommendation of Mueller. And they, they did talk about in the last page of this thing, the defendant's history, meaning Lieutenant General Flynn, three-star, and he served, um, you know, his military service, his public service, they say are exemplary, served at military 33 years, five years combat duty, led the Defense Intelligence Agency, retired as a three-star lieutenant general, and the defendant's record of military public service distinguished him from every other person that has been charged by the special counsel office's investigation. And it goes on, it adds this line. However, senior government leaders should be held to the highest standards. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, okay, well, why aren't all of these other people in trouble for doing far worse than what they alleged that General Flynn did? Because... The people that interviewed in the FBI, General Flynn, including Peter Strzok, including then Director Comey, uh, who lied himself, and Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, who lied himself repeatedly. That was in the Inspector General's report. Um, when are they going to be held to the highest standards? And, and this is my problem with all of this. 
you know, some people say, why do you keep bringing up Hillary? She did so much worse as it relates to Russia collusion. And with the blockbuster report, new evidence that we have, everybody knew that what they were presenting to the FISA court judges was a lie. And they did it anyway. That's what the deep state has been about from the get-go. They knew better than you, we, the people, and they went about and made significant conscious attempts to destroy Donald Trump, and it continues today. This hasn't come to an end. You know, you read through the, the sentencing recommendation on General Flynn again. You know, this is pretty screwed up when, I don't know if you know this, you know, they mentioned the Logan Act. The Logan Act is from 1799, okay? But what's even worse than that, there are only two instances in 1799, two known instances in which individuals were indicted for violating the Logan Act. The last one was in 1853. I mean, the Logan Act is about prohibiting unauthorized private diplomacy with foreign nations. Oh, you mean like John Kerry undermining the president's Iranian policy by backdooring out of the government, saying that he disagrees with Donald Trump and his sanctions against Iran and a tougher stance against radical Islamic mullahs that chant death to America, death to Israel, that promise to wipe Israel off the map? So we're going to use, we're citing a, a law from 1799 with only two known instances in which individuals were indicted for violating the Logan Act, and neither incident resulted in a conviction. And that's this is how deep they're going into General Flynn. And then the other one that they mentioned was the FARA Act, which talks at length. I don't want to bore you and, and get you tied up in the details, but, you know, for those people that... that end up Foreign Agents Registration Act is what it's called, FARA for short, uh, pertaining to a project that he and his company, this is where his son comes into it. This is, listen, if the FBI didn't think that General Flynn lied and Comey, McCabe, and Strzok didn't think he lied, why would General Flynn, you ask, sign on to a, uh, a guilty plea of lying to the FBI? Because he had no choice. Because they basically said, well, your son worked in the business with you, right, General? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we're going to offer you this plea agreement or we're going to have to go full bore, just like they did with Jerome Corsi. Jerome Corsi says, I can't lie to my God under oath about a crime that I never committed because I didn't lie. Was I forgetful? I'm 72 years old. Yeah, I was forgetful. I got it wrong and I still corrected the record when I was when it was pointed out to me that I had sent an email or I just didn't recall it. I don't remember a single email I sent them today. I can't recall. I'd have to go back and look. It's not how people's minds work. And so anyway, the other one is from 1938. And this is ridiculous. I'm sorry. In the case of the FARA law that they mentioned in the plea agreement that they had and the sentencing agreement or the sentencing statement that they put out from Mueller's office, they, they fight. Farah, and they they fight. Then, but the DOJ issued a report in September of 2016, and they actually tallied all the prosecutions under that law since 1966. A whopping seven prosecutions. 
This is how we treat a 33-year veteran, five-year combat duty servant of his country. Wow. And on top of it, nobody's telling you that to get the information that they had on General Flynn, what did they do? They surveilled him illegally, unmasked him illegally. They didn't use minimization, which is the process by which if an American is on the phone and caught up in incidental surveillance, they're not supposed to even, if, even if they know who it is, identify who that American is unless they're doing something illegal. And the illegal thing that they thought that General Flynn is trying to hide is that as the incoming national security advisor, he's telling the Russians that there's going to be a change in, in leadership and a change in approach to how we, we deal as nations together and talking to his future counterpart, which, by the way, would be his job during a transition. It's insanity, and it's wrong, and it's corrupt. Now, this is where it gets even worse. you got to stay with me here. Now, we, we have been unpeeling this onion layer, uh, you know, one thin layer at a time, one thin layer. We, we've almost spent, and we have, we have exposed so much between this ensemble team that we have put together, Greg Jarrett and John Solomon and Sarah Carter and uh, Sidney Powell and David Schoen, and I, I, I'm going to start forgetting the people that deserve credit. So, But we've been doing it, and we've exposed a lot, surveillance abuse, unmasking abuse, intelligence leaking abuse, a massive increase uh, in all of these behaviors in the lead-up to 2016 by the Obama administration, uh, and all of which never should have happened. So we now, remember, we've been asking, wanting, hoping, and praying that we get the FISA applications, and we do have the Inspector General Horowitz I've been told that he's buried so deep in so many different investigations that that's why we're not getting his report sooner, which is frustrating because it took 18 months to get his first report, which was fairly devastating to a number of people and and to confirm a lot of the process of corruption that we knew was going on. So John Solomon writes this piece. Now, let's go to the FISA court issue. So remember, Hillary Clinton got a pass. Hillary Clinton got special treatment. Hillary Clinton was involved in violating the Espionage Act, and Hillary Clinton had subpoenaed emails on her in the mom and pop bathroom closet server, Platts River Network. Okay, that's being investigated. The crimes are overwhelming and incontrovertible in terms of the evidence. The same with her obstruction. There's never been as big an obstruction of justice case than her taking subpoenaed emails and having them deleted, bleach bit on the hard drive, and then busting up devices with hammers. That's what Hillary Clinton did. Now, just before Thanksgiving, House Republicans uh, amended the list. They wanted the FISA warrants, the Gang of Eight material, and the 302s with Bruce Orr and Christopher Steele. The president said he'd release it. The president has since, probably very strategically and wisely, has said, you know what? Well, the Democrats are coming into the House and they're promising endless investigations. I'm going to hold this ace in my back pocket and I'm going to show at my on my schedule when it's most important to reveal because there's so much corruption in them. Now we know because just before we went away for Thanksgiving, I interviewed Devin Nunes. He's going to be on Hannity tonight that there's a string of emails that now we know exist between the FBI and the Department of Justice. In other words, 
Once these come out, what do we know they will reveal? John Solomon reports, sources now tell me that the targeted documents that Devin Nunes, these, their chain of emails, provide the most damning evidence to date of potential abuses of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA, evidence that has been kept from the majority of members of Congress now for more than two years. The email exchanges included then-FBI Director James Comey, key FBI investigators in the Russia probe, and lawyers in the DOJ's National Security Division, and they occurred in early to mid-October before the FBI successfully secured the first FISA warrant on Carter Page, a Trump campaign associate. The email exchanges show that the FBI were fully aware before it even secured the warrant that there were intelligence community concerns about the reliability of the main evidence that were used to support the obtaining of the FISA warrant. And that was, remember, the Nunes memo, the Grassley-Graham memo, Memos. The bulk of information provided to the FISA courts was the Steele dossier. The st- yeah, the Steele dossier that Hillary bought and paid for. The one that's full of Russian lies. The same dossier that, that even Steele himself, under oath in an interrogatory in Great Britain, would not stand by his own dossier. What this is saying is they, this email chain shows that they knew it was fraudulent. They knew it was unverified. They knew it was phony. And that the exchange also indicates that FBI officials were aware that Steele had contacts with news media and was leaking this information, which eventually got him fired for leaking and for lying. And that was in, you know, November of 2016. But the FBI withheld this information from the American public, even though it was being disseminated. Hooker's in a bed, urinating in a bed in Moscow in Trump's Ritz-Carlton hotel room. And that they actually, in spite of knowing none of this were verified, they signed their names to it anyway. And they broke the law and purposely committed a fraud on the FISA court's knowing that the law demands that they verify, authenticate the information. You understand how deep and profound this is? This is a massive smoking gun. And there's another one coming tonight. By the way, John Solomon's going to join us at the top of the next hour. All right. We're going to get into more details of this. But they knew it was fraudulent. They lied to these FISA court judges. And on the other hand, they also omitted information that probably would have prevented any warrants from being issued. Do you understand how corrupt that is? There are so many reasons to be a grateful nation, and in large part we have our military and our veterans to thank for our liberties and freedom. National Wreaths Across America Day is Saturday, December 15th. You can join in the mission to remember our fallen heroes, honor those who currently serve in their families, and teach younger generations the value of freedom. A $15 donation to Wreaths Across America sponsors a fresh handmade balsam wreath from Maine with a single red bow. The veterans' wreaths have become a gift of America's respect. The circular wreath with 10 balsam bouquets is a catalyst for unity, healing, and an expression of gratitude. 
What started with America's most hallowed ground at Arlington National Cemetery has grown to ceremonies at close to 1,500 other participating locations across the country and overseas. Sponsor a Veterans Wreath today and show your appreciation. Visit www.wreathsacrossamerica.org. That's www.wreathsacrossamerica.org. All right, stay with me in this because this is very, very important. So now we know that there's smoking gun email exchanges. It's a long chain of emails. That includes James Comey, key FBI investigators in the Russia probe, lawyers in the DOJ's National um, Security Division. This is why they have been so incapable of handing over the documents to investigative committees. This now, and why we're just getting this now is even worse, because what it shows is in these exchanges is the FBI was fully, completely, and totally aware that the dossier put together by Christopher Steele was, well, let's just say not only not verified, not corroborated, but likely false. Now, here's where it becomes very troubling for that, for every one of these people. Knowing that and still allowing the dossier to become the bulk of information to obtain the original FISA warrant and the subsequent renewal FISA warrants in subsequent applications and the original application, that in fact they knew the FBI had an obligation. And I'm going to prove this in our next right after the news at the bottom of the hour, that the, they, they had by law, by FBI protocol, by standards, in the words of the great Rod Rosenstein. Now, he's probably in the most trouble because he signed the last warrant. But the, everybody that put their signature on these FISA applications committed a fraud on a spectacular level to the FISA court judges. And that would, we, our own Greg Jarrett, who will join us too t- later today, he's identified at least six felonies that would be applicable to every single person that signed off on these FISA warrants, the foundation of which was the Clinton bought and paid for Christopher Steele Russian dossier full of Russian debunked lies that he himself doesn't stand by. This is the smoking gun email, and we only now just got a hold of it. We'll continue. Hey, let me tell you something about smoking. Guess what? It's not about politics. It's about people. Now, there are about 38 million Americans that smoke, and I want to tell you about my experience switching to Juul. I used to smoke cigars. I smoked them regularly. I even inhaled them at times. Not good. Everyone in my family growing up, they all smoked. And now that I've made the switch to Juul, Guess what? I have found the best alternative ever. Now, Juul is designed with smokers in mind in terms of its form, technology. It's simple to use, no buttons, no switches. It is the satisfying alternative now for one in eight American adults who like nicotine, like me. Now, to discover the smoking alternative that's nothing like any e-cig or vape you've ever tried, just go to Juul.com slash Switch America. That's J-U-U-L dot com slash Switch America. And learn more information at J-U-U-L dot com slash Switch America. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour, 800 941 Toll-free telephone number you want to uh, join us. 
You know, I think most of you probably missed the eulogy yesterday given by uh, George uh, W. Bush, heartfelt eulogy of his father. And um, now, of course, the the 41st President George H.W. Bush being laid to rest today. I just wanted to play some of this. That'll come up later in the program today. We'll get to that. All right, so I'm going through John Solomon's article here. And I just, if you're just joining us, I can only just tell you this is pretty unbelievable. So we now have email chains that have been kept from us in spite of every committee in Congress that has oversight authority that shows, in other words, an email chain that shows, exchanges that show, that include former FBI Director Comey, key FBI investigators in the Russia probe, lawyers in the DOJ's National Security Division. They've known about these emails for the entire time which explains a lot of the obfuscations, explains a lot of the, the, the back and forth with the committees, their reluctance, their unwillingness to cooperate with congressional committees, because that's their job. Oversight is part of Congress's job. You're going to see a lot of oversight as soon as the uh, Democrats take control of the gavels in a lot of these committees in the House. Now, it's not going to go anywhere in the Senate, but that's, that's neither here nor there. But the fact that the FBI... According to these new emails, we're fully aware that the bulk of information that was used in all four FISA applications, in other words, the bulk of information, the Grassley-Graham memo, the Nunes memo, bear this out, was a dossier, the Christopher Steele dossier. Not only does he not stand by it, but it shows the FBI was fully, completely, utterly aware about all of the concerns about the veracity and the truthfulness about the main evidence, the bulk of information that was put in the FISA applications to get a warrant to spy on a Trump campaign associate. Not only once, but you have to renew that application every three months because it is so difficult to obtain that FISA warrant. And it's usually for cases that involve terrorism, et cetera, et cetera. Not in this case. Now, I'm going to use the words of Rod Rosenstein. Now, keep in mind, this is the guy that signed the third renewal or the fourth FISA warrant. This is almost, this is nine months into this warrant. Every warrant still used as the bulk of information, the dossier. There's a reason why, a specific reason why, and I don't know because I never read pages 10 through 12 and 17 through 34, but I am told that those pages in the last FISA warrant signed by Rod Rosenstein would be devastating. Now, we've all been asking, why hasn't the president, you know, unredacted the information in the FISA warrant, the 302s, that would be exchanges, for example, between Bruce Orr and Christopher Steele. Because remember, Christopher Steele gets fired for leaking and lying. But Christopher Steele was not done because they never told, by the way, another fraud committed on the court. They never told the FISA judges how much Christopher Steele, just like Page and Strzok and Comey and everybody else involved in this, how much they hated Donald Trump. And I mean hated. Now, sources in all of this now say that They knew all of this. Now, what should the standard be if you're filling out a FISA application in terms of the evidence that you're putting forth towards the court? 
Now, we had already known that they never informed the FISA judges that this information was bought and paid for by Hillary Clinton, the opposition party candidate. They only had a footnote that said, well, it might have some political taint. It might be somewhat political in nature. No, this was bought and paid for by Hillary and her campaign. These Russian lies and also by the DNC that she was controlling the finances of, according to Donna Brazil. Now, listen to what Rod Rosenstein said in May of this year. The way we operate in the Department of Justice, if we can accuse somebody of wrongdoing, we have to have admissible evidence and credible witnesses. We need to prepare to prove our case in court. And we have to fix our signature to the charging document. That's something that not everybody appreciates. Uh, there's a lot of talk about FISA applications. And many people that I, I see talking about it seem not to recognize uh, what a FISA application A FISA application is actually a warrant, just like a search warrant. Uh, in order to get a FISA uh, search warrant, you need an affidavit signed by a career federal law enforcement officer who swears that the information in the affidavit is true and correct to the best of his knowledge and belief. Uh, and that's the way we operate. And if it's wrong, sometimes it is, if you find out there's anything incorrect in there, that person is going to face consequences. Think of what he just said there. Because not only did they, they not, they not only didn't know it was not accurate, they knew it wasn't accurate. They were being told, according to this new column by John Solomon, who again, he joins us at the top of the app. They were all being told it's not accurate. There were massive concerns about the truth and the veracity of this. Now, the law requires exactly what Rod Rosenstein laid out there to the best of their knowledge. They didn't to the best of their knowledge. Now, what does that mean? That means that when they use the bulk of the application being the, the Steele dossier, what they were doing is they were using unverified, uncorroborated political lies bought and paid for by Hillary Clinton, put together by a foreign agent using Russian connections with spectacularly bizarre, if you will, allegations in it. And the irony of all this is, even Comey in January, remember, this is done in October before 2016, when he goes to see Trump in Trump Tower to say that this exists, this dossier. It's salacious, but it's unproven. Well, if it was unproven, then why was it already used twice at that point to secure FISA warrants against Carter Page, the Trump campaign associate, when that was the, the bulk of the data? Because Rod Rosenstein is right. They had an obligation to certify to the court before they put the application together that the evidence was verified. And if they couldn't verify it and they still wanted to include it in the FISA application, they had a duty to alert the judges to any potential flaws as it relates to evidence or information that suggests the target might be innocent. Now, we also know, this is in Solomon, uh, John Solomon's column, that the FBI used an article from Yahoo News. This is the circular reporting issue we keep talking about. They tried to present to the court Yahoo News's article as somehow being independent corroboration for the Steele dossier, knowing damn well, because he was fired November 1st of 2016, that Steele had talked to that news outlet. And that was part of the renewal applications. 
So maybe they could say they didn't know that Steele talked to Isikoff before with the first application, but they couldn't say for applications two, three, and four, certainly. And if the FBI knew that Steele had media contact before he submitted, before they submitted the article, they would be guilty of what's called circular intelligence reporting, which is forbidden as a tactic in which two pieces of evidence are portrayed as independent from each other, independent corroboration, when in fact they know it originated from the same source. So that's another problem with it. And again, I go back to they never told the FISA court judges that this was Hillary Clinton, the opposition party candidates, bought and paid for op research. They never told the FISA court judges that, in fact, Christopher Steele hated Donald Trump the way he did. Now, the, this, this entire thing, understand how profound this is. When you have the top members of law enforcement, not rank and file, there's a reason all of this was taken out of the hands of rank and file FBI agents in the field offices. When you have the upper echelon of the FBI knowing or even having any doubts about the veracity, the accuracy, the truthfulness of what they're putting in a FISA application, what have I been saying? This is abuse of power. This is the biggest corruption scandal in the history of the country. And the fact that they were willing to use paid for unverified Russian lies and other members of the intelligence community were leaking those lies to you, we, the people, i.e. Isakoff, David Korn, I believe, was part of that and others, and disseminating these stories to impact the selection and the choice of the American people in favor of Hillary over Donald Trump, they were using Russian lies. That sounds like Russia collusion to me, except they're colluding with the top people within the Department of Justice and the FBI. Now, this is where the frustration of the president comes in, because we've known a lot of this. We've been able to piece this all together. Now we've got smoking gun evidence that they knew what they were doing. Now, the... You know, why the FBI chain was kept from most members of Congress this past two years um, and it suddenly just landed on the declassification list. Why? Because they know the incoming House Government Reform Committee is not going to look into it. Well, now it's a legal issue now because we still have the inspector general's investigation going on. uh, I think there's a very strong likelihood slash possibility and Greg Jarrett later will identify the six felonies that could have been violated here. Now, if we go after, we're going to use the Logan Act. Let's see, Logan Act. Oh, 1799, and only two known instances in which the individuals were indicted for violating that act. Last time it happened was 1853, and that's in the sentence recommendation of Robert Mueller. This is how deep they're going after Lieutenant General Flynn and and the other thing that he mentioned, he mentioned the Farah law, and we know since 1966, there's only been a whopping seven prosecutions. And if they use that also in the sentencing recommendation as violations that General Flynn made, then I've got to believe that they're going to really stick to their guns with equal application of our laws and equal justice under the law and, you know, a constitution. And they're, they're going to throw the book at all of them. 
Now, in addition to all of this, House Republicans prepared to question Comey on Friday. He signed off on the Pfizer warrant, as did Sally Yates, as did Rod Rosenstein. Most intelligence officials like John Brennan and James Clapper, they've embraced the concerns laid out in the Steele phony dossier. Nothing was ever proven with that. You really believe that two hookers were urinating in Trump's bed in Moscow and they knew about it the whole time? And we haven't heard or seen any evidence of it? And that Donald Trump snubs Putin left and right and takes shots at him much stronger than Obama ever was? Tell Vladimir I'll have more flexibility after the election. So here we are. You know, all this time, Robert Mueller. Comey has been casting... You know, Comey cast out on the Steele dossier after they used it to get the warrants. Unverified and salacious. Lisa Page further corroborated Comey's concerns in recent testimony when she revealed that the FBI had not corroborated any collusion charges by May of 2017, nine months in, when her former lover were, you know, colluding, if you will, to go after Trump because Trump should lose $100 million to nothing. Now maybe we understand what the media leak strategy and the insurance policy were all about, don't we? This is the insurance policy. Lawmakers now want to question Comey about it, but the question has long lingered. You know, who inside the FBI ever verified the Steele dossier? The answer is nobody because they couldn't. Who corroborated it? Nobody because they couldn't. And in John's uh, article, he'll tell us more after the top of the hour, that the email chain provides the single most direct evidence that the Bureau, only the upper echelon, don't take this out on rank and file, guys, and the DOJ had reason to doubt the Steele dossier long before the FISA applications ever went in. And they didn't do their job. And they knew it was total BS. But the desire of those few at the top to stop Trump, no pun intended, trumped their desire to obey the law. When these documents are released, the American people will have all the evidence they need of what was an attempt to stop Donald Trump from ever becoming president. And if God forbid he did, this is where all the bludgeoning about Russia came from and originated from. And congressional investigators now have this evidence that, you know, that some evidence even inserted into the fourth and final application, the Rosenstein application, was suspect. Devin Nunes basically said that to me, you know, the last time I interviewed him. He'll be on Hannity tonight. Well, it's going to be an interesting night to get to the bottom of this. By the way, you know what the sickest part of all this is? The media that cares so much about getting to the truth about Trump-Russia collusion? Do they care about the Constitution? The rule of law? Abuse of power? About an attempt by uh, abuse of power by people that we give the most powerful tools of intelligence to. Unbelievable. The way we operate in the Department of Justice, if we're going to accuse somebody of wrongdoing, we have to have admissible evidence and credible witnesses. We need to prepare to prove our case in court. And we have to affix our signature to the charging document. That's something that not everybody appreciates. Now, there's a lot of talk about FISA applications. And many people that I, I see talking about it seem not to recognize uh, what a FISA application. A FISA application is actually a warrant, just like a search warrant. Uh, in order to get a FISA uh, search warrant, 
court, you need an affidavit signed by a career federal law enforcement officer who swears that the information in the affidavit is true and correct to the best of his knowledge and belief. Uh, and that's the way we operate. And if it's wrong, sometimes it is, if you find out there's anything incorrect in there, that person is going to face consequences. The rule of law is indispensable to a thriving and vibrant society. It shields citizens from government overreaching and arbitrary action. It allows businesses to enter into contracts and invest with confidence. It gives innovators protection for their discoveries. It keeps people safe from dangerous criminals. And it allows us to resolve our differences peacefully through reason and logic. Lawyers are obligated to speak up for the truth. John Adams famously observed that facts are stubborn things. And whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passion, they cannot alter the state of the facts and the evidence. Pursuing truth means always yielding to the facts, even if they run counter to our hopes. In a courtroom, truth is about credible evidence, not strong opinions. Truth is about credible evidence, not strong opinions. Rod Rosenstein, I think these words, in light of John Solomon's big breaking news story yesterday, uh, are going to come back to haunt him, because if you sign a, a FISA warrant, that's like a, that's an affidavit. And, and to the best of your ability, you know that those things are, are fair and true and, and correct, or the consequences are going to be severe. Those are Rod Rosenstein's own words. Now we told you that there is a big breaking news story. We broke it on Hannity last night by John Solomon over at the Hill that there is now a series of emails, an email chain that has been discovered. And what we find in the email chain, chain by the way, between the FBI and Department of Justice and this is now available, which will now provide the most damning evidence to date as it relates to the FISA warrant applications because the email exchanges, and they do include director, former FBI director James Comey, key investigators in the so-called Russia probe, lawyers in the Department of Justice's National Security Division, and that this was all known to all of these people as it relates to the information in the dossier being falsed. In other words, they, they had all this information. They knew that it was questionable at best. Now we have to remember what did the Nunes and what did the Grassley Grand Memo say? That the bulk of information in the FISA applications, the original application, the three subsequent renewal applications, the bulk of information to obtain the FISA warrant against the Trump associate, Carter Page, was in fact the dossier the bought-and-paid-for Russian lies of Hillary Clinton. And these email exchanges show that the FBI, before they ever filed the first application, were aware, before they secured the FISA warrant, that there were intelligence community concerns about the reliability of the main evidence used to support it. That was Christopher Steele's dossier. And the exchange also indicates that FBI officials were aware that Steele, the foreign actor that was hired by Fusion GPS, I thought foreign nationals weren't supposed to impact our elections, uh, that in fact was working as a confidential human source for the Bureau, had contacts with the news media. In other words, now we get into the whole circular reporting issue that we've talked about to create an image and an impression 
that there were independent sources corroborating the same news that turns out to be false. And the FBI, what we now know, the FBI fired Steele for lying and leaking. But the FBI withheld the information that they had earlier from the American public in Congress for many, many months that Steele had been paid to find dirt on Trump by Hillary and the DNC, and that Steele himself harbored a hatred of Donald Trump. And then, of course, if we ever get the 302s, even after he's fired, meaning Christopher Steele, even though he can't in an interrogatory in Great Britain didn't stand by his own dossier, he said, oh, no, 50-50 at best in that interrogatory. Well, that was what was used to obtain the warrants. And in fact, the FBI knew his media contacts. They knew that he didn't certify it. There was no verification. Uh, there was no corroboration of the things that he put in the dossier. And we now find ourselves at a point where pretty much the FBI... And this new email chain that was discovered that they kept from Congress, members of Congress, for the past two years, all of this information that they knew. Let me put it another way. They willingly used the Hillary Clinton bought and paid for steel dossier Russian lies to illegally commit a fraud on the FISA court, not once but four times, and purposely lie and also withhold pertinent information to FISA court judges in these applications. Now, the person that has uh, broken this story, I think it is the most damning evidence to date, and we have had a lot of it. John Solomon joins us now with The Hill. How are you, sir? I'm good, Sean. Thanks for having me on. All right. So there is an email chain that basically corroborates that everybody in the FBI, DOJ, that there was no corroboration of any of the information in the dossier and quite the opposite. They even had their own doubts. Yeah, let me let me tell you what specifically what sources are saying. What they're what they're saying is that there's an email chain that only has become known recently to members of Congress that shows that the FBI was aware there were intelligence community concerns about the validity, accuracy, reliability of the Steele dossier. And that is so important because those concerns enter the FBI leadership chain before the FISA is given to the court and before it's approved. And we know one of the people on that email chain, we don't know how much he's on there yet, but is James Comey, who signs one of the FISA warrants. So the head of the FBI is on an email chain where people are aware and being alerted that the intelligence community has concerns about elements of the, of the Steele dossier. That's important because the FISA regulations require, if you're going to use the Steele dossier as corroborating evidence for a warrant, you have to have confirmed it was verified. It's accurate. And, and we now know there were concerns raised about the accuracy and reliability prior to the um, uh, dossier being used in that capacity. The second thing is we know from the release of the redacted version of the FISA that they used a Yahoo News article as separate corroboration to bolster the dossier. Well, we, we know that uh, Steele and uh, Yahoo talked, right? Michael Sikoff and Steele talked before the publication of the article. We learned that, but it's never been clear did the FBI know prior to the FISA that Steele and, and, and uh, Yahoo had com uh, talked? We now know, according to this email chain, the sources who are familiar with it, that the FBI was aware of Steele's contacts with the media before they went to the FISA court. If both of those things are true, if the email chain shows both of those things, it would provide prima facie evidence that the FBI did not meet its obligations to the FISA court. And, and people who've seen it, who are talking about it, Devin Nunez, talk about this as some of the most damning evidence of wrongdoing yet. In other words, wouldn't that be by every definition? Let's, let's use Rod Rosenstein's own words. And by, yeah. and by the way, can we throw those over to TV so they have it? Because uh, we're going to get into this in more detail tonight. 
when he said, well, a FISA application, if, if it's an affidavit, and, and, if, right. and if a career uh, law enforcement officer puts his name to it, he is certifying with his full faith and confidence that it is fair and true and accurate or there are severe consequences. I think I, have, yeah. I, think I captured his tone cadence when he says it. Um, I think so. There's something we ought to talk about there because, you know what, there was a, a moment this past summer that has stuck in my memory, and I wish we could follow up on it in the next sworn testimony uh, by Rod Rosenstein. But Jim Jordan basically got Rod Rosenstein to one inch from admitting he never read the FISA application that he signed. If that is true... Rod Rosenstein failed his own description of his obligations. If Rod Rosenstein did not fully read the fourth renewal application, which is the one he signed, uh, that is going to constitute Well, hang a on. Major... If he didn't read it, did he really not yeah. read it? Or maybe he did read it, and maybe now that he knows, because at the point at which we're discussing this, we now know that the bulk of information to obtain the FISA is the phony dossier that even Christopher yeah. Steele doesn't stand by. So my question is, maybe he actually did know. Maybe he actually, well, and he's just saying it because that's the better of, of two bad choices. Yeah, yeah, they're both bad choices because the court and the law will not look favorably on the deputy attorney general under either circumstance. If he knew they were wrong and he submitted it, he has significant culpability and he dishonored the Justice Department. And if he didn't read it and do his obligation and sign it, he didn't fulfill his obligation and he dishonored the Justice Department. But doesn't this uh, prove, I, though, that they were willing to do anything, including I, not follow procedure, protocol, and the actual law itself, yeah. And they willingly lied and committed a fraud upon the court to obtain a warrant to spy illegally on an American citizen. Isn't that what we're you know, really talking about? We are. And I think, uh, Sean, the other, uh, maybe two weeks ago, just before Thanksgiving, you had Devin Nunez on. And for the first time, I heard him describe the insurance policy as something that what's been speculated in the media in the past. And that is the insurance policy was all the evidence they were going to gather to bulk up the Steele dossier. And I don't know if you remember what Devin said in that interview. You did a great job interviewing. He said, when people find out what the insurance policy is, which was a bunch of evidence put together to bulk up a very weak dossier, they're going to be just as ashamed as they are of the dossier. It's just as problematic and concerning. And you know where a lot of that evidence was submitted for the first time to the FISA court, that bulk up the, the questionable steel dossier? It was on the FISA application that Rod Rosenstein submitted, not the three prior, but the one he submitted. And, and you, it, I think on your show, Devin said that, that there's information in that fourth FISA that wasn't in any of the other FISAs. And it's as troubling as the Steele dossier itself. I can't wait to the day we get to see that when the president declassifies that. Okay, now why? Make our own judgments. We thought the president would do this before the election. He decided yeah. not to. Now he did give us some insight since then. When right when the question came to him, well, what are you going to do about all these Democrats that are are pledging to you know start endless investigation after investigation? He said right. he's got information that he's holding in his back pocket that is going to show their corruption. Now, I, <laughs> yes. I kind of like the that, strategic tactical thinking of it, but I, I, I don't know yeah. what's worse. I I prefer, I think, to see what is in those 302s and the Gang of Aid right. and those FISA applications, especially in light of your report. Right. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Donald Trump always has a lot of fun on Twitter, right? 
But I think the real reason, my reporting, I've done a lot of reporting on, remember, it was the interview with President Trump that I had back in September where he mentioned he was going to classify it, and he disclosed for the first time he hadn't even read the documents. He was trusting the people in Congress and their their judgment, and he would he would uh, release them without uh, reading them himself so he didn't tamper with the investigation. Here's what my reporting indicates on why the president hasn't done that yet. He hasn't done it because his lawyers believe it could be construed as an effort at, at obstructing the investigation in its final phases. It is winding down by all accounts. And the greatest exoneration the president can claim is that the investigation just ended. And guess what? I wasn't charged, just like I told you. There was no collusion. That is the most important thing. Plus, it ends an investigation that has tormented all of America right. on all political aisles. I think the president is waiting for that moment. And then I believe all my reporting indicates he will be prepared at that moment to start to unleash these documents. And we'll then begin to go from the phase of he's been exonerated to let's hold accountable the people who put this charade upon the American people. Quick break. We'll have more uh, with our good friend, uh, John Solomon. Now, he's going to be breaking other news tonight that is also as big as last night's reveal. That's coming up 9 Eastern Hannity on Fox News. Quick break. Right back. We'll continue straight ahead. All right, as we continue, John Solomon with The Hill uh, reporting with us. Um, I guess what's so amazing that the FBI and the DOJ, and, and now we now know, they knew that at, it was at best. Some, they never corroborated now. We have an email chain that proves they never corroborated the Steele dossier, the bulk of information for the FISA applications. Um, there are crimes in play here for individuals. This is the stuff. We're going to put people in jail for lying to the FBI repeatedly and process crimes. These are real right. crimes. This, this, there really was a, not only a, a, an effort to prevent Trump from becoming president, but also worse than that. They have an insurance policy to destroy him should he win, which we're now discovering. But you also have a story you're breaking tonight. Can you give us a headline? Well, there are two questions in this whole investigation that, that particularly conservatives have, have been most concerned about, right? The first is, was this a railroad? Was this a uh, an effort to delegitimize President Trump's uh, election victory by creating a bogus election scandal and I think we're, or election uh, collusion scandal? And I think, you know, we know from the House Intelligence Committee report, we know from what the Senate Intelligence Committee chairman just said recently, still no collusion two and a half years later. I think we're pretty certain that collusion will not be proven. We should wait for Bob Mueller's last report before we make a final determination. But I think the, the, the first concern is if it wasn't a real investigation, were abuses committed to create the appearance of a real investigation? And that's what we just talked about. The second question that comes up, because they're really twinned in the consciousness, not only of the American public, but in the FBI agents who worked both cases, was the treatment of the Clintons. Did the Clintons get a disparate treatment from that of President Trump? If, if there was so, so much So in other words, we would go ahead we're going to get the deal. second part. We now know the part that they— I will deal with the Clintons. Absolutely. Yes, you've, you've interpreted exactly what I said correctly. Uh, wow. We are going to learn tonight about some evidence that the Trump Justice Department has had for more than a year about the Clinton Foundation, and I think it will be interesting. Uh, it involves whistleblowers. It involves— uh, Let's explain why a whistleblower's home was raided recently. It's a different whistleblower. Yep, different whistleblower. Though I think in the, at the end of the day, I'm going to have to run, but 
Yeah, I think. All right. So John Solomon will be breaking more news on the Clinton Foundation tonight. People were looking at me. They wanted an insurance policy just in case I won or Hillary lost. And this was the insurance policy. It's a scam. There was no collusion whatsoever. And the whole thing is a scam. All right. That was the president responding. And now we know that the FBI knew it was a scam. The bulk of the information used to obtain the FISA warrant against Carter Page, the bulk of the application, the FISA application, both the original application, three subsequent applications, were based on information that was false, and the FBI knew it. That's what John Solomon is reporting. And with his new report out tonight, well, we're going to discover just how far and deep the protection was given to Hillary Clinton. You know, we're joined by, well, our good friend Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst, author of the book, The Russia Hoax, and also David Schoen, civil liberties attorney, criminal rights attorney. All right, you read Solomon's article. You just right. heard him in the last half hour. Yes. He, between the report we broke last night, the FBI knew that the information that they were putting in the FISA application was questionable at best. They never verified as the law requires, that protocol requires, and they never corroborated. And they did it anyway. Right. Using faulty information. So it seems like a conspiracy, if you're going to use that word, or in, in terms of the law, legal term, to defraud a FISA court and commit a fraud on a FISA judge and illegally obtain a warrant on an American citizen. That's right. And if I'm Carter Page tonight, today, I'm thinking I'm a very wealthy man by the time this is all said and done. He should be, because he was victimized by people who deliberately broke the law. James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Sally Yates signed off on the FISA warrant, Rod Rosenstein, who appears to have known, or he ignored and didn't do his duty of due diligence. I spent three chapters in my book, The Russia Hoax, presenting the facts, the evidence, and the law of how the FBI knew that this dossier was fabricated and phony. They didn't care. They used it to launch the Trump-Russia investigation, signing papers July 31st, 2016, without credible evidence required under federal regulations. And then they took it a step further. They presented to a judge to spy on an American citizen concealing vital evidence and deceiving the court. That is a fraud on the court. But the bigger picture is that they have committed a fraud on the American public. How many felonies are we talking about potentially here? Well, I've identified in my book six different felonies just with respect to the FISA. that would mean if now this email, as John reports, shows that they knew the information was false. They knew that it was questionable at best, but yet they still used it. They would have, you've identified six separate felonies. That would mean the people that signed it, that would be James Comey, right? Sally Yates is another one. Andrew McCabe. Andrew McCabe. Rod Rosenstein. Rod Rosenstein signed the last one, which makes it especially bad. Which is why he's been obstructing uh, Congress's efforts to get their hands on these documents. The president needs to declassify this information and then we'll see the evidence. How did this email chain, we've been at this story now for almost two years, uh, David Schoen, almost two years. How did we only now get to that point? That's just how good they are at concealing this. And by the way, it's one more reason to read Greg's book everyone should have. Let me say this, besides Carter Page becoming a wealthy person, I think, honestly, that Carter Page's lawyers ought to give some thought to filing a motion to get him before the FISA court, maybe a motion for contempt, because as of today, the FISA court rules require the modification of any application and the correction of any information that was in that 
in any application for a warrant, including uh, information that left out the reliability of that information. I think it should be before that court, and that court should now uh, bring sanctions. This is what the United States Supreme Court and every court down the line has written about, the danger of the ex parte practice of seeking warrants. Sometimes there are reasons for it, and it's a normal practice. But with the FISA court, the consequences are even heightened, and the secrecy is for the greatest intrusion into the lives of an American citizen. We can't have even an iota of question about whether an application has reliable information. In this case now, there's apparently strong evidence that they it wasn't reliable and they knew it wasn't reliable. I think he should be proceeding on every front of lawsuit. There should be criminal sanctions if this is in fact true. And I think they should bring a motion before the FISA court. He has standing as Why an aggrieved party. Why have we not heard from these FISA court judges? I know this is a secret court. I know... But well, I, that's it. That because it's secret. John Roberts, the Chief Justice of the United States, is actually in charge of the FISA court. He appointed all twelve members that currently sit on the court. He should issue an order directing the presiding judge of that court to hold a show cause hearing for contempt to haul these individuals in front of the court. Uh, and appoint, by the way, an outside representative and advocate, because this is a secret one-sided court, to make sure that the interests of Carter Page and others, the American public, are represented properly. Unbelievable. All right. So now if we get other information, we knew about the exoneration. This is a lie that Comey told that I think eventually he's going to have to be held accountable for. He, he, in two separate ways... Number one, by leaking the information as he did to that Columbia professor sure. for the purpose of getting that leaked to the New York Times and appointing a, a special counsel. But James Comey also lied himself by saying that he didn't write an exoneration before an investigation, before interviewing Hillary <laughs> Clinton. Um, does that mean he gets the Flynn treatment? Does that mean he gets the Michael Cohn treatment? Uh, does Cheryl Mills get it? Does Uma Abedin get it? Does John Brennan get it? Does uh, James Clapper get it? Does Eric Holder get it? Does Loretta Lynch get it? Because I've got our articles on every one of them having lied before Congress. And I've, Michael Cohn lied before Congress. He had to fess up to it before a judge. And that's a crime last time I checked, right? Yeah, I, I think it's an example of it and will be an example of some of the most selective enforcement of the laws that we have ever seen unless these people are brought to justice. The same thing's going on, by the way, when you see Manafort prosecuted. What about Podesta and Greg Craig, what's going to happen in those cases? Um, we're, we're going to have to wait and see. But listen, this is a whole new set of questions to ask Comey with this information coming out, and it's critically important that they be prepared when they have him in these congressional hearings to get him under oath about these things. And a question there will be, will Daniel Richmond represent him? Because Comey said he's represented still by Richmond, David Kelly, Pat Fitzgerald. How interesting that he has the three people that would be uh, otherwise used against him in a, in a case like this, isn't it? Right. And remember, Daniel Richmond has a specific con conflict. He worked as a special government employee for over a year um, for the DOJ. His duty was to the DOJ, not to Comey. There's a real conflict there. And under the U.S. Code, um, uh, Section 205, 18 U.S.C. 205, he's prohibited from appearing against any, the interests of any agency that he worked for in any matter he was involved in. It's going to be interesting how this plays out. You know, he's a law professor. He certainly knows better. Comey is one of the most prodigious liars, <clears throat> in my judgment, ever to hold a high government position. Uh, and, you know, he, he brags about it. You know, he's on The View, and he readily admits... 
then he's a liar. And all you have to do is look at the presidential memos he authored and stole and then leaked. Uh, They are right with lies to President Trump. He says that good people can lie. I mean, I guess he wasn't talking about Michael Flynn. He wasn't talking about George Papadopoulos. Uh, or any of the other people. He's talking about himself and Andrew McCabe. Yeah, here you go. Second in in command, McCabe, was fired for lying multiple times within the FBI. You defended his character on Twitter. That's that's okay. Lying is okay internally. No, it's definitely not. In fact, the McCabe case illustrates what an organization that's committed to the truth looks like. We investigated whole... I ordered that investigation. Mm -hmm. We investigated hold people accountable. Good people lie. I lay out in the book, I think I'm a good person, where I've lied. I still believe Andrew McCabe is a good person. Oh, every good people lie. I mean, I've lied. I've laid it out of my book, he says. Well, yeah. I got news for him. Uh, I didn't lie in my book. I presented facts, evidence, and law. His book is one big lie. And, I mean, you would need a calculator to keep track of all of the lies and deceptions that James Comey has been peddling for the better part of two and a half years. Let's go to the Flynn um, sentencing recommendation from earlier this week. It's interesting because two antiquated laws were cited in this. One is the uh, Logan Act. Um, This is interesting to me. There are only two known instances, David. I've done a little research, the little Greg Jarrett on my, uh, (laughs) my own here, in which individuals have been indicted for violating the Logan Act. Uh, the last of which was in 1853. Neither indictment resulted in a conviction. And the FARA uh, law, which is, you know, when you're doing businesses with foreign gov- uh, governments, well, in September 2016, they issued a report at the DOJ that tallied all the prosecutions under FARA since 1966. There's been seven with, I believe, one conviction. That's great work. Listen, if they're going to bring a Logan Act. That's what you do to a 33-year veteran, five years of active duty combat. That's how we treat him. Right. And it's a classic situation of having the special counsel decide uh, who uh, is telling the truth and who isn't. He rewards those who give him what he wants, and uh, otherwise he punishes them. But listen, if there's going to be a Logan Act uh, prosecution ever, Line up John Kerry, because John Kerry was overseas uh, marshalling Iran against our country, undercutting the Trump administration with the Just Iran recently. deal. Yeah. Just so recently. Line yeah. them up first if you really want to bring a Logan you know, Act. The truth is the Logan Act is is a joke. And, it you know, in the 20th century, nobody was ever indicted or prosecuted. Why? Constitutional scholars and lawyers and judges all agree it is unconstitutional. The Logan and, Act, and by the way, again, it, it, twice it, since 18... Right. It was a law, by the way, this was law was it's 1799. Right. Uh, it's dormant. Two, two times, but it is prohibiting unauthorized private diplomacy with foreign nations. Right. And you're right, David, that John Kerry would have violated it. But wait a minute. This is an un- incoming national security right. advisor talking to a future counterpart, which seems to me to be logical. It has no application uh, because, first of all, Michael Flynn wasn't acting as a private citizen, but rather as a government representative of the incoming administration. And this is what all transition teams, including the last president's transition team, Barack Obama, did, engaging with foreign diplomats and foreign governments to prepare them for the incoming administration and the challenges that lay ahead. The Logan Act has no application, but they used it. Sally Yates used it as a pretext to interview and entrap Michael Flynn. Well, now nobody talks about this little known fact. It's that in we my discuss- book. Okay. We, by the way, it's called the Russia hoax. We've a right, quick break. <laughs> More with David Schoen and Greg Jarrett on the other side. 
right, as we continue, Greg Jarrett and uh, David Schoen is with us. And we left off talking about the Logan Act and, and so on and so forth. Now, the thing is, nobody talks about is that we know that Lieutenant General Flynn was illegally surveilled. There was no minimization. He also was unmasked, and it was raw intelligence. So before he ever went into an interview with the FBI that the FBI didn't even think he was lying about, they had a whole transcript of an illegally taped phone call by the government. Am I wrong on that? You're right. You're absolutely right. right. Yeah. So they knew what he was. They knew what he had said. And anything that deviated from that phone call, they were going to say guilty. And remember, they withheld the um, belief by the FBI that he did not lie. Listen, every fact surrounding the Flynn case, in my view, is a, it makes it a pitiful case. This is a man who served his country with great distinction for many, many years. It's, the, it's a, an absolute example of the Justice Department seeking injustice rather than justice, turning the screws to his family, leaving him without the resources to really defend himself in this case. And he had no choice but to do what he did. But isn't that the case with a lot of people? Yes. You know, most, look, if 90 percent of the American people can barely survive three months economically if a catastrophe hits their family. Right. So when you have the added costs being in government, I know people now that serve in government that actually are paying to work on those jobs. That's how big a sacrifice is. By the time they hire their attorneys uh, and all every time you have to go before a congressional committee, every time you have to go before an investigator, it's over and over. So he had to sell his house. Oh, yeah. And they also, I would bet, any amount of money I had, they threatened his kid who worked with him. Oh, they did. I've confirmed that. And, and I you know, have presented that in columns and in the book as well. Here's what happened. Um, Sally Yates, who was then the acting attorney general until Jeff Sessions took over, um, decides she's going to damage Trump. She gets a transcript, the surveillance of this conversation between Flynn and Kislyak. She says, let's use the Logan Act as a pretext. We'll go in there and interview them, interview him, even though we and we have the transcript and that'll give us an excuse for interviewing him. And if he deviates one word from that transcript in his account of it based on his memory, we'll charge him uh, with lying. Well, Peter Strzok and another agent who interviewed him came out of that and said he didn't lie. He told the truth. By the way, the McCabe, of his recollection. McCabe right. and Comey both on record think he did it. That lie. is exactly right. So the DOJ drops it. Along comes Robert Mueller and his special counsel. They resurrect the case and prosecute Flynn for lying, even though he told the truth, to squeeze him for some information to implicate Donald Trump in so-called collusion. Last word, David. Uh, I think Greg just had the last word. That, that's really what's gone on in this case. Greg has a lot of material for the sequel, as I've said before. Um, it, it, I'm really eager to hear what's going to come out tonight. Uh, eager to hear how you reported on your show. And uh, it's just um, it's, it's an absolute shock that the justice system has operated and been abused this way. Is it really a shock? Or have they had free reign now for decades and that the whole thing is because Donald Trump is a disruptor? You're right, but I, I hope it's still a shock to the American people that, it, that it's in such dysfunction. Problem is the media doesn't report what we do. All right. Thank you both. Great insight. Uh, happy Hanukkah to you, by the way, David. And uh, Merry Christmas to you, Mr. Uh, uh, number one bestseller. Quick break. We'll come back. Skyline chili along the way. 
it started happening. Hey, hey, hey. And in the middle of a Charleston night, we ran into Jessica White. And a little moonshine got us right from smacking sand. And we're coming to your city. That can only mean one thing, that my buddy John Rich is in New York and he's in studio. He just told me it's what, your 10th wedding anniversary. Your kids are 8 and 7 now. That's man, right. I remember the little teeny boppers. You just had your baby. I know, man. Yeah, what? they're 7 and 8. They've been married 10 years today. That, that, that's, a, that's an accomplishment, man. All right, save a horse, ride a cowboy. Yes. All right, so all of a sudden I'm watching. I'm a huge country music fan my whole life. Yes, sir, I know and, that. And then all of a sudden then there, there's this video of, <laughs> of you and, Big, and, and Kenny, Big Kenny, uh-huh. and I'm like... What the hell is this? What just happened? What just happened? (laughs) Um, And then you create the music mafia. Right. And you add all these other incredible artists. Yep. You're one of the most prolific and and really best writers of music I know. And I get to be your buddy and hang with you and watch you do your thing. What do I tell you every time I see you? Why couldn't God make me a singer? (laughs) I want to do this. Well, you're welcome on stage anytime with us. You know that. Yeah, that'll ruin your song. (laughs) Man, it's it's been a great great run. We we got new music out now. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible to see uh, the impact Big and Rich Music has had around the United States. But um, you know, I'm in New York. I come up here and and um, talking about the Folds of Honor, which I know is a, a group that you're big well, time, big yeah. time. You know, Folds of Honor uh, puts kids through college who lost a mom or a dad fighting in combat, or a spouse through college who lost a spouse. And I've got this new whiskey, Sean. It's called Redneck Riviera American Blended Whiskey. And you know me. We, we've we been out a couple of times now. Everybody, I'll tell you, Sean takes it easy. I don't take it so easy sometimes around Sean because I get excited around Sean Hannity, you know? No, I, no, I, no, no. You're not telling the right story. I'm going to be honest here. <laughs> you cannot hang with John Rich unless you're willing to stay out till the sun comes up, number one. Number two, whether you like... Well, I guess it's going to be Redneck Riviera whiskey from now on. Well, I was a Crown Royal guy. Well, I was going to say you were Crown, and Crown Royal just tastes like crap to me. Well, it's Canadian blended whiskey, right? I've always drank that, and I got to wondering a couple years back, well, I've been drinking this Canadian blended all these years. Where's the American blended whiskey? And nobody had it. Right. So I said, well, I want to make it. So I worked on it for all of 2017. We put it out the beginning of this year. We're now in 41 states. So if you go, they're actually in Vegas. You own a bar. It's called the Redneck Riviera. One in Vegas, one in Nashville as well, right. downtown. Yeah. Right. So I'm hanging out with you one night. You you and Big Ken, you guys, Big and Rich are up on the stage. You're singing a bunch of songs. But you got a bar in the back. Right. Of that. And tell the story about what you have to do when you go to the bar in the back and you're a you can show that you're a military person. Uh, okay, so if you're uh, active duty or you're a vet and this goes for all the Redneck Riviera bars out there, uh, first drinks on the house in Nashville. It's it's buy one, get ones all night long. We comp half their drinks. We have we hire active duty and vets to work at Redneck Riviera. So we're employing veterans and active duty. And then we give 10% of the profits tithe, as we know. My dad's a preacher, man. He right. taught me about tithe growing up. 10% of every bottle of well, Redneck you, well, Riviera. You, you're, you're like, your dad must have done a lot of prayer and fasting. Still does. Still, because, man. He's I, always praying for you're, me. You're tearing it up. Well, you um, know, I pick my shots nowadays. Uh, but yeah. but I, I was going to say 10% of every bottle of Redneck Riviera whiskey that we sell goes to the Folds of Honor. Yeah. And I just wrote them a check that covered 37 college grants. And my goal this year, though, was 40. I wanted to hit 40 college grants with the whiskey, so I'm three short. 
So I wanted to come on your radio show and say, guys, gals, if you're out there, go to redneckriviera.com. How much is it to get to the – how much do you need to get to the 40 total? Uh, we need to sell. We need to sell a couple thousand more bottles, which can be done. We can pull well, that. I can. Off. I can buy a hundred and give them out to my audience. You could do that. I could do that. You could do that. Done. Well, I yeah. consider it done. Redneckrivera.com has got a store locator. You just right. click on that, put your zip code in, boom, the stores pop up. Listen, do you, this is real for you. Now, I work with the Freedom uh, Alliance for a lot of years. They do scholarships too, like yes. Folds of Honor, and I know a lot of guys of folks uh, at Fox do it with. Folds of Honor. Right. It's a great charity. The other one I work with lately is Building Home for Heroes. This guy, Andy, oh, yeah. that runs it. Yeah. Un- unbelievable guy. Um, one of my favorite big and rich songs, and they're all my favorite. Honestly, I, when you guys jam, it is a party. It's just fun. I always have fun around you. So you guys did a song about the 8th of November. I want to just play a little bit of it because okay. I watch you guys perform it. it. It blows me away, the reaction of the crowd. To explain what the story is about, because you start by, Chris Christopherson starts that uh, yes. by telling a story. Yeah, so November 8th, 1965 was the first major ambush in the Vietnam War. 30 Americans went out. Uh, only three survived the ambush. One was our friend, Niles Harris, who lives in Deadwood, South Dakota. Big Kenny and I met him many years ago. He was a bartender, and we met him at the end of one of our sets, found out about his story, he was at Walter Reed for two years after that, uh, got out of Walter Reed, signed up and did three more tours of Vietnam for the 173rd Airborne Brigade out of Fort Benning, Georgia. We were so blown away by his story and patriotism. Uh, and love. Like our buddy, Mon- it's like our buddy Marcus Luttrell, lone survivor. Absolutely. So we wrote this song that's literally a play-by-play um, of what went down on the 8th of November with our friend Niles Harris. Let's play a little of this. You know, this is just one of many, many hits that you guys have, um, and I just love your music. And you know, you get to do cool stuff. I know the, the behind the scenes of the life of a musician. You got to spend lots and lots of hours in a bus mm-hmm. in a little cubicle, and and but then you get to play. Right, it's and worth they, it. They turn you loose. Yeah. yeah. So you know, you spend your whole life practicing. You know, I, t- I tell people, you talk about our vets in active duty. What they really are are preserving is the American dream. And for me, 
that's making music and writing songs and doing that for you. Look at look at where you're on the radio, you're on television, you're getting a message out that's important to you. That's what they fight for. But you got to spend your whole life getting good at it, man. You know, I think I think one problem in America today is a lot of people think they have the right to be happy, to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. You don't have the right to be happy. You have the right to pursue happiness. And to me, that in in the pursuit of happiness is the American dream. One of the you're one of the few people that's not shy about talking politics. And I know it's probably your agents like, oh, no, Hannity's going there. No, I'm on man on. No, that. no. And, you know, Donald Trump. I do. I was on, on The I was Apprentice. On, I was on Celebrity Apprentice. You told me not to do the show. What? You said, why would you do that crazy show, John? I said, I don't, I'm going to go on there for St. Jude. That's I think I can said. win. I said, I'm only going on to see if I can raise a million bucks for St. Jude. And you ended up winning. We ended up winning, and you yeah. helped. Yeah. I don't remember. I gave you some money, gave me, right? gave me some money for St. Jude. Yes, All right, you cool. Um, but I, what was he like in that environment? Because we had Piers Morgan on earlier this week. I like Piers a lot. He's a good. He's crazy. I love him. Mm-hmm. And he's outspoken like us. Um what was that like for you? What did you think of Trump then? Well, one interesting thing I noticed about him is when you're at the boardroom at the table, you know, he's a big guy. He's a big person. Like 6'3", yeah, right? he's right. big. Yeah. And so what he does is when he'll ask you a question, he leans in. He'll lean across the table and look at you right in the eye without blinking and ask you a question. Mm-hmm. And I was watching him do that. And when he does that, there's a, you know, there's a force field around this guy, basically. <laughs> and people will lean back, like away from him, and answer the question. And I watched that go on. It got my turn a few episodes in. And, and he you goes, leaned in? He goes, so John Rich, how is Gary Busey as your project manager? <laughs> and he leaned in on me, and I leaned right back in on him. And I said, Mr. Trump, he's the nicest bunch of guys I've ever met. And he wow. said he started laughing. He goes, "That's a big statement." I mean, Gary, you're talented, but Gary, you're kind of nuts, right? John Rich said it. Yeah, it's a good statement. But I think at that minute, it's not bad. It's, if, you're if not you, quite there yet. But you, if you look him in yeah. the eye and and yeah. and and push push back against what he's got, he respects that out of people. All right, quick break. We'll come back more with the great John Rich, RedneckRiviera.com. Uh, we'll put it up on our website if you want to help out Folds of Honor. And uh, more on the other side. And we're going to play the eulogy. George W. Bush's eulogy was unbelievable yesterday. Very touching. I know most of you were working. So um, I want you to hear it. It's it's really goes to the heart of a great relationship between a father and a son. All right, as we continue, John Rich is with us in studio today. Now, your dad was, a, you told me once, and correct me if I'm wrong, a fire and brimstone guy. Yeah, still is. Hard-hitting. Preaches at, preaches so, at right. the prisons. All right, so you, big time, you know, you, you party, you have a good time. I know you're faithful. I know you're, you're a strong Christian. Yes, sir. I know that's who you are deep in your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, Holy Water, by the way, is another yeah. amazing song. Watch that video. I ask anybody. It's great. But does he not like? You're creating whiskey, for example. Right, Does right. he care about that? Does he care about well, when you party too much? I asked him about it, and he said, well, are you tithing on it? That was his first That's question. That's what he said? Malachi 3.10, the tithing verse. I said, yes, sir. Who are you tithing to? I said, folds of honor. What do they do? They put kids through college who lost a parent in combat. He goes, how's it going? I said, we're almost at 40 scholarships. He goes, well, Jesus didn't turn the water into Dr. Pepper. <laughs> that was his answer. Does he so, drink or no? No, no. Uh-uh. No, he's no a, not at all. He's hardcore. I think it's like anything else as long as it's not to excess and doesn't mess your life up. You know, people, people that no, eat I agree too, with you. If you eat too much, that's a bad thing. If you do anything too much, it's a bad thing, you know? No, I agree. But um, what's the worst, th- what your biggest disappointment to him? Because I would think growing up with a, a fire and brimstone 
Mm-hmm. Preacher, dad, that's rough, man. And I, you were a hell, listen, I was incorrigible as a kid. Oh, me too. We would have been best buddies. Terrible. We would, uh, no, it's no. It's a good thing we didn't grow up together. Dude, you have no idea. We you, would both I, probably be behind, I, not here, put well, it my that mo- way. My mother swore I was either going to be successful or in prison. Yeah, well, that, that, I think that was, was kind of no my outcome. Well, we're either, we're either in park or we've got the floor to the, the pedal uh, to the floor. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I think he was concerned about me, uh, in, especially in my 20s and early 30s when it was just, I mean, full-blown rock and roll out there. Um, but one good thing, I've got him. I've got my Granny Rich, who's still alive. She's 86. Matter of fact, she was the final taste tester of Redneck Riviera Whiskey. Wow. We say it's Granny Rich approved. Yeah. And she still works a 40-hour week, and, you know, she'll have a little whiskey. But, you know... I think he watched me go through that, and it was probably a little prodigal son there for a while. But then you come back around, you make the circle, and you're still alive. God took care of you, kept you out of harm's way, and you realize how fortunate you are to have made it through that. I call it the wonder years. It's a wonder I lived through them. You know? yeah, like I went to Catholic schools. Right. What I realized later is it got in. Right. Because you can't live that way and not start feeling like crap over living that way. That's exactly right. Whatever that is in anybody's life. I mean, there's a lot of that that's out there yeah and then i've got two kids you know i got two uh-huh. sons so now they're watching by the way i my son's older than yours god is going to so pay you oh, back oh boy i'm warning you man oh, here i it comes. am warning you it's it you get it back twice as bad well i earned it yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> did your dad hit you mine did oh my, spankings were pretty common around my house but but once i, oh, got, I got the belt you never got the belt no i got the belt all the time yeah but once once i got too big for that he started coming up with these creative punishments so yeah. Uh, this one time he said, all right, go out in the backyard. This is Amarillo, Texas. Yeah. He said, dig me a hole that's three feet by three feet by three feet. And it was like nine o'clock at night. Mm. I was out there till one o'clock in the morning chopping this hole out. Yeah. He said, all right, next time it's four feet. Next time it's five feet. And I stopped it. And wow. so I'm, I'm trying to be a creative punisher in my house. Listen, of- I never hit my kids, um, but. What I found work, just take away their stuff. Yeah. they got If they got a lot of stuff, start taking it away. No, you take away that electronic whatever. Oh, yeah. And let me, and I used to make them just stay in their room. Yeah. My, my son would be in there, and he'd like, I, I'd go in an hour later. You okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah, this is great. Yeah. You my know. hour three, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got, uh, you know. Meanwhile, my daughter can be in there 12 hours, and she's building tents and, you know, reading. Right. and you know, we, we like to go out and shoot BB guns and teach yeah. them how to split a split uh, a log and build a campfire. And BB and guns got me in trouble, John, a BB lot. BB guns. I shot out some headlights. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you and I would have been, we would have been the pair. I hate to tell you, we used to have BB gun fights. Oh, yeah. Shooting at each other. Yeah, it feels like getting stung by a wasp. I'll never forget one kid had right up here. Oh. Point, and it's lodged in. Right above the eyebrow. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we got to let it go here. All right, uh, where do we go to help you out with so this? So, guys, Bowls everybody out there listening, yeah, go to redneckriviera.com. The front page, it says store locator. Put your zip code in. You'll find those bottles in your hometown. We're in 41 states. I'm trying to get those last three scholarships paid for. All right, I'm going to put it up on Hannity.com. I'm going to buy a bunch of bottles, and we'll give them away on there. Sounds okay? great. All right, man. Appreciate you, Sean. Thank you. All right, John Rich, Big and Rich. We'll continue. Sean Hannity Show. All right, 25 now till the uh, top of the hour. 800-941-SEAN is our number. You want to be a part of the program. So I'm watching this eulogy 
George W. Bush. And I know most people didn't get to see it or hear it because it happened like 11 in the morning. And it's so powerful on so many different levels. It is about honoring a great man who also happens to be your father. And I just wanted to play some of the highlights of this because it was just well, you'll understand as you listen. Well, we have an awful lot of fun, too. Always a delight to be in the president's box at the Kennedy Center, off to a play at the National Theater of the Warner with the Bushes. And outside of the president's box one evening, there was a massive six-foot vase with an extraordinary glaze. I hope you know the difference between a vase and a vase. 35 bucks. <laughs> Now, George walked up to it, and he said, Al, wait, I think that's Etruscan. I noticed that he said this blue-grayish glaze from that period, a clay that could only be found during that era. And I said, no, no, George. The patina there gives me the perception it was possibly older, perhaps of Greek origin with that particular herbal paste before firing. Of course, people gathered around, mumbling about these expert observers. And Barbara and Anne finally came by and said, get out of here. Both of you, get back in that box. Well, we did. Well, it was impressive for a while. And then, of course, one night, the four of us went to see Michael Crawford singing the songs of Andrew Lloyd Webber. All four of us were singing as we went back to the White House. Don't cry for me, Argentina. <laughs> and tidbits from Phantom of the Opera and other magic of Webber. And a few days later, he's getting hammered by the press for some extraordinarily petty bit of trivia. And suddenly he sings out, don't cry for me, Argentina. <laughs> the press then wrote that he was finally losing his marbles. I once heard it said of man that the idea is to die young as late as possible. At age 85, a favorite pastime of George H.W. Bush was firing up his boat, the Fidelity, and opening up the three 300-horsepower engines to fly, joyfully fly, across the Atlantic with the Secret Service boats straining to keep up. At age 90, George H.W. Bush parachuted out of an aircraft and landed on the grounds of St. Anne's by the Sea in Kennebunkport, Maine, the church where his mom was married and where he worshiped often. Mother liked to say he chose the location just in case the chute didn't open. <laughs> in his 90s, he took great delight when his closest pal, James A. Baker, smuggled a bottle of Grey Goose vodka into his hospital room. Apparently it paired well with the steak Baker had delivered from Morton's. <laughs> to his very last days, Dad's life was instructive. As he aged, he taught us how to grow with dignity, humor, and kindness. 
and when the good Lord finally called, how to meet him with courage and with the joy of the promise of what lies ahead. One reason Dad knew how to die young is that he almost did it, twice. When he was a teenager, a staph infection nearly took his life. A few years later, he was alone in the Pacific on a life raft, praying that his rescuers would find him before the enemy did. God answered those prayers. It turned out he had other plans for George H.W. Bush. For Dad's part, I think those brushes with death made him cherish the gift of life, and he vowed to live every day to the fullest. Dad was always busy, a man in constant motion, but never too busy to share his love of life with those around him. He taught us to love the outdoors. He loved watching dogs flush a covey. He loved landing the elusive striper. And once confined to a wheelchair, he seemed happiest sitting in his favorite perch on the back porch at Walker's Point, contemplating the majesty of the Atlantic. The horizons he saw were bright and hopeful. He was a genuinely optimistic man. And that optimism guided his children and made each of us believe that anything was possible. He continually broadened his horizons with daring decisions. He was a patriot. After high school, he put college on hold and became a Navy fighter pilot as World War II broke out. Like many of his generation, he never talked about his service until his time as a public figure forced his hand. We learned of the attack on Chichijima, the mission completed, the shootdown. We learned of the death of his crewmates, whom he thought about throughout his entire life. And we learned of the rescue. And then another audacious decision. He moved his young family from the comforts of the East Coast to Odessa, Texas. He and mom adjusted to their arid surroundings quickly. He was a tolerant man. After all, he was kind and neighborly to the women with whom he, mom, and I shared a bathroom in our small duplex. Even after he learned their profession, ladies of the night. Dad could relate to people from all walks of life. He was an empathetic man. He valued character over pedigree, and he was no cynic. He looked for the good in each person, and he usually found it. Dad taught us that public service is noble and necessary, that one can serve with integrity and hold true to the important values like faith and family. He strongly believed that it was important to give back to the community and country in which one lived. He recognized that serving others enriched the giver's soul. To us, his was the brightest of a thousand points of light. In victory, he shared credit. When he lost, he shouldered the blame. He accepted that failure is a part of living a full life but taught us never to be defined by failure. He showed us how setbacks can strengthen. None of his disappointments could compare with one of life's greatest tragedies, the loss of a young child. 
Jeb and I were too young to remember the pain and agony he and mom felt when our three-year-old sister died. We only learned later that dad, a man of quiet faith, prayed for her daily. He was sustained by the love of the Almighty and the real and enduring love of her mom. Dad always believed that one day he would hug his precious Robin again. He loved to laugh, especially at himself. He could tease and needle, but never out of malice. He placed great value on a good joke. That's why he chose Simpson to speak. <laughs> On email, he had a circle of friends with whom he shared or received the latest jokes. His grading system for the quality of the joke was classic George Bush. The rare sevens and eights were considered huge winners, most of them off color. George Bush knew how to be a true and loyal friend. He nurtured and honored many, his many friendships with a generous and giving soul. There exist thousands of handwritten notes encouraging or sympathizing or thanking his friends and acquaintances. He had an enormous capacity to give of himself. Many a person would tell you that dad became a mentor and a father figure in their life. He listened and he consoled. He was their friend. I think of Don Rhodes, Taylor Blanton, Jim Nance, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and perhaps the unlikeliest of all, the man who defeated him, Bill Clinton. My siblings and I refer to the guys in this group as brothers from other mothers. <laughs> he taught us that a day was not meant to be wasted. He played golf at a legendary pace. I always wonder why he insisted on speed golf. He was a good golfer. Well, here's my conclusion. He played fast so that he could move on to the next event, to enjoy the rest of the day, to expend his enormous energy, to live it all. He was born with just two settings, full throttle, then sleep. <laughs> Taught us what it means to be a wonderful father, grandfather, and great-grandfather. He was firm in his principles and supportive as we began to seek our own ways. He encouraged and comforted, but never steered. We tested his patience. I know I did. <laughs> but he always responded with the great gift of unconditional love. Last Friday, when I was told he had minutes to live, I called him. The guy answered the phone, said he, I think he can hear you, but he hadn't said anything for most of the day. I said, Dad, I love you and you've been a wonderful father. And the last words he would ever say on earth were, I love you too. To us, he was close to perfect, but not totally perfect. His short game was lousy. He wasn't exactly Fred Astaire on the dance floor. <laughs> the man couldn't stomach vegetables, especially broccoli. And by the way, he passed these genetic defects along to us. If 
finally, every day of his 73 years of marriage, Dad taught us all what it means to be a great husband. He married his sweetheart. He adored her. He laughed and cried with her. He was dedicated to her totally. In his old age, Dad enjoyed watching police show reruns. The volume on high. <laughs> all the while holding Mom's hand. After Mom died, Dad was strong, but all he really wanted to do was hold Mom's hand again. Of course, Dad taught me another special lesson. He showed me what it means to be a president who serves with integrity, leads with courage, and acts with love in his heart for the citizens of our country. When the history books are written, they will say that George H.W. Bush was a great president of the United States, a diplomat of unmatched skill, a commander-in-chief of formidable accomplishment, and a gentleman who executed the duties of his office with dignity and honor. In his inaugural address, the 41st President of the United States said this, we cannot hope only to leave our children a bigger car, a bigger bank account. We must hope to give them a sense of what it means to be a loyal friend, a loving parent, a citizen who leaves his home, his neighborhood, and town better than he found it. What do we want the men and women who work with us to say when we are no longer there? That we were more driven to succeed than anyone around us? Or that we stopped to ask if a sick child had gotten better and stayed a moment there to trade a word of friendship? Well, Dad, we're going to remember you for exactly that and much more. And we're going to miss you. Your decency, sincerity, and kind soul will stay with us forever. So through our tears, let us know the blessings of knowing and loving you, a great and noble man, the best father a son or daughter could have. And in our grief, let us smile knowing that Dad is hugging Robin and holding Mom's hand again. All right, that was George W. Bush honoring his father. That was the eulogy he gave. Really tough at the end, as uh, he rightly said the most wonderful things. Only two times in American history has a father and son, has a father and son ever been president of the United States. So that was Bush 43, giving a heartfelt eulogy to his father. And the second funeral service of George H.W. Bush is underway in Texas, and the president laid to rest today on the grounds of the presidential library museum where many people if you haven't had time to go to one of these museums they're great we'll be right back all right we're going to blow a brand new report out tonight with john solomon devin nunes we have michelle malkin uh is joining us roberto hernandez uh joe concha uh is going to check in dan bongino also our fox morning team uh, apparently got to spend time at the white house and see everything that was going on there ainsley and Ducey join us which will a little holiday fun, and we'll talk about the war on Christmas. That's uh, 9 Eastern tonight, Hannity, Fox News. We'll see you then, back here tomorrow. As always, thanks for being with us. Hollywood is under siege from an external force. Now, the same Hollywood that sold the American dream, they are now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. 
Now, you can join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in the Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some of the major studios. Now, don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. And for a limited time, you can watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. Hey, Sean Hannity here. If you're in a situation where you feel threatened, well, instinct, that might drive you to reach for a lethal means immediately. But we all want to avoid the irreversible consequences of using deadly force. Now, enter the burner, less lethal pistol launcher. It is equipped with tear gas and kinetic ammo. It can incapacitate any attacker for up to 40 minutes. It's legal in all 50 states. It requires no background checks and it can be shipped right to your door. Go to their website, byrna.com slash Hannity right now, and you'll get 10% off. Hey, when you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about those out-of-pocket costs. Now, that could be a lot of money, but are your medical bills accurate? Now, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills actually contain errors. Now, HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, or fraud. Now, you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, to date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Check them out online, healthlock.com. Go there today.